0: this week's show. First off let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners and if this is your first time listening to the show I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. On today's show I bring you some bonus content from my conversation with John Amici. John previously featured on episode 20 of the podcast
1: so if you happen to miss it it's definitely worth a listen. I've seen these kids doing these drills and they work, and they work, and they work. That's who we're fighting against.
0: Well, like like you say, with the small communities in the US, it's... Uh, how would I put it? It's um, probably a cult... It's a type of a cultural one, isn't it? Because obviously, with these small towns... Um... Oh, uh, Kind of the high school stars of be it basketball, f- American football, and whatever sp- other sport the high school may take are kind of put on uh, a pedestal like essence and godlike status to a certain extent because obviously they don't have these professional teams. Around or if they or they are in bigger cities, um because well, say for example, obviously LeBron, LeBron James for an example with obviously his high school. um what's High school name, but you you know which one I'm talking yeah. about. Obviously, for the big games, they had to move it away from the high school arena to the. Uh, which university would it have been or but away to a university campus arena because it's so popular I mean I'm not disputing
1: that I'm not saying it's the same level of popularity it clearly isn't but what I'm saying is that these kids are working with nobody watching them to give themselves the opportunity for everybody to watch them because it's not just the 12 kids who make the varsity team who are working that hard it's every kid who thinks he's got a shot who's doing that And and you've got to take it away from just being in America, right? So you can go to Cholet, uh, which is a a tiny town of 60,000 people who has, uh, not recently, but in the past, their basketball team has been the number one basketball team in France. I know because I played for it a long time ago. And um, 60,000 people in that town, 60,000 people, and they have a professional basketball team and they have a group of kids who go to that gym every single day and shoot and shoot and run and jump and pass and do the basics until they are as expert as they can be with expert coaches. So we don't have that in London. Never mind in in towns that we have, like Stockport, where I grew up.
0: Would it be a case of a obviously coming from the psychological background that you you, you later went on to do after the, after the sport, mm-hmm. um, is it a is it a mindset kind of uh, how would I put it? They've got a more understanding on doing as you say, getting the basics right that they can shoot with their eyes closed uh they don't need to be aware of that the ball is in their hand. They can obviously see the bigger picture um and then obviously it's probably it comes down to putting a better emphasis on a basketball i q and more yep. about well as you say street balls. Probably more about showboating as opposed to when you focus on the the fundamentals. Well, at the end of yeah. the day, showboating. Well, may when you get maybe one well one in ten games, but if you do the fundamentals right and you play as a team, you'll win ninety ninety
1: percent of the time. Well, I mean, the only thing that's going to win you stuff. I mean, all the, all the extra bits. All the extra flair on your game is often out of necessity. Some of the most fantastic things I've done on a basketball court are things that I've thought, wow, I'll probably never do that again. And if I do, it'll only be because of this circumstance. I I think in my entire career I've done one alley-oop. And it was entirely out of necessity. The ball came to me on the fast break. It's coming up in the air and I see a guy flying through and I know if I, if I stop, come down with the ball, and then go back up, I know he's going to batter it. So I had to dunk it. Most of the really cool stuff, and I didn't have a huge amount of really cool stuff that I did, but most of the really cool stuff that I did was entirely out of necessity. That's where Flair comes from. All the, you know, the crossover stuff, all of this stuff, which is now fundamentals, actually, uh, started because it has a function. So... You know, if I watch a player and I see him playing around with the ball for six seconds, you know, on the, on the perimeter, doing amazing stuff with his handles, you know all I think? Um, I just think you've only got 18 seconds left on the clock now. Mm-hmm. I just think, well, probably less than that, because if, if it takes you your average of four seconds to bring the ball up the floor without pressure, it might take you six seconds with pressure. Then, then you're bringing the ball into the, the target zone where you can either shoot or pass for a shot. And so <clears throat> let's assume there's been a little bit of pressure, so there's already 18 seconds left, and then you're going to play around the, with the ball for another six seconds, meaning there's 12 seconds left, which means that the moment somebody else gets it, you're in, an, in a, like a red situation, as, as we call it back in the old days, a red situation where, where it needs to be either dribble to a shot or pass an immediate shot. You've now created a situation where your team can't run a play. So I don't know what's good about that. I'm interested in a, in a point guard who can come down the floor. And the thing is, people talk to me about this, as if I didn't play with the number one and the number two best point guards in, in NBA history, which I did. And both of those guys were no nonsense. Even Mark Jackson, a guy who loved himself uh, between the <laughs> legs pass, that man loved himself for behind, the, the, behind the back pass. What people didn't realize, that was just his regular pass. He'd done it so many times that, for him, it was no different. He was not looking to impress the fans. It was simply, for him, the easiest way to get the ball from A to B. And he would never handle the ball more than it needed to be handled. So if he knew he could take one, two, three dribbles, get to half court, make a pass that started the play, make a cut that drove through, then he knew his job was done. If he knew there were six seconds left on the clock and it was up to him to penetrate, draw the team and dish, then that's what he would do. But we don't do that. We think that basketball is – gym. well, it's not fair to say that. Again, I know some great coaches who don't think this way. But I also watch enough basketball, as I did actually just a couple of weekends ago, I watched a two-game in, um, in London. And, uh, and I watched that game. and It was very clear that people think that basketball is gymnastics – that you don't just get two points for a regular shot, one point for a free throw, and three points for a (laughs) three-point shot. But you also get an additional one, two, or three points, depending on how much style you add. But it's not gymnastics. It's not diving. You don't get extra points for sticking the landing. You just get one, two, or three points if it goes in the hole. And if it goes in ugly... It's still two points or three points or one point. If it goes in clean, it's one, two, three points, and there is nothing else. But we don't think that way, unfortunately enough. And that's not, <clears throat> you know, it's not just my opinion. I, I've asked players who've come over here, and they've watched us play, and it's like, what are they doing? Why, why, why don't they just put the ball in the hole? Because you can play street ball if you want. You can join. I forgot the name, there's, there's these streetball crews that, that go around Europe. But if you think, if your idea of a fun time is being with a bunch of guys um, in a bus, driving around America, driving around Europe, then, then that's not my idea of fun. I prefer to play a game in front of 20,000 people, uh, be driven to, my, to the private plane, and then fly to the next game. That's really where I think it's at. Not, not the idea that I get paid twenty grand a year to stick a basketball up my t shirt or make some stranger fall over. I don't know. And plus, we're not going to win any Olympic games that way, are we? I don't know. It's it's disappointing. Again, I must emphasise. I am, this is the most I've talked about basketball in forever because I really do feel quite liberated by the fact that I'm out. Whatever people want to do, go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with. My little corner of basketball, which is the NBA in Europe, and my colleagues and my friends. Today I'm, I'm uh, hanging out with Steve Nash um, and a couple of other guys, and that's what I'm going to stick to. And, and other people can get their expertise from, from the, the knowledgeable streets of our basketball experts.
0: I'm 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 probably of that same nature with in terms of uh, how I, I obviously play wheelchair basketball. I'm I'm very much when I have to play the position of point guard. I'm very much a part part, and I I, 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 I I don't know if it's of I feel more comfortable doing that that pass for, and it's something it's probably. Especially the NBA is seeming to go away from it now nowadays obviously it's a very much shoot first mentality point guard. Whereas I've kind of I'm quite happy dishing it off uh well, obviously trying to get um the better players involved and trying to get them if they've gone into a cold streak, trying it trying to get them back and then obviously uh, yeah. Once you got on a hot streak, it's quite hot it's sometimes it's quite hard to stop that person making the shots or trying to get him in and then I I, I it's probably I think I got a little bit of banter one of the home games we had. Oh he's not gonna shoot, you're thinking. I was in kinda of two minds, okay I I've got the got the space to be able to shoot, but also the other person is free and he's the better shooter. Okay, I gave him the pass. But I kind of gave it back when we uh, his team was shooting free throws. I was like, as because he was the point guard as well. I, I'm I'm saying, you I, I know where you're coming from. Obviously, I could have shot, but I didn't. But you know, as a point guard, I've got two options, and they were both the right decision. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's probably with anything. It's a, a case of. Conf- it's more a confidence thing with me, I think. With it's,
1: you, it's, it's not just confidence, though. It's, it's, the job of a point guard is to do the right thing for the team in that moment. If you've got a player who's hot, he should get the ball every single time. This is another thing that, that we don't seem to understand in British basketball. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if it gets boring. If, if somebody's hot, you've passed them the ball every time you come down and you run a play for them and then you run a play for them and then you run a play for them and then you run a play for them and when they miss, you run another play for them to see if they're actually not on anymore and then when they make it, you run another play for them and you don't go away from that person until they've been stopped. Mm. I don't understand people. You see this guy, he makes a three, then he comes down, it's a driving layup and then somehow the rest of the people on the team are all a bit jealous. Oh, when's my turn to shoot? It's like, no, no, no. That's not what team means. Team means riding someone into the ground until they are done giving. And then you move on to the next person. Until they stop him, you keep going back to him. I I mean, this is a fundamental thing. Even in this basketball game in America that people seem to think is greedy. I remember playing a summer league in, oh my goodness, it's California somewhere, I I forget, uh, Long Beach. Long Beach Summer League. So it's an NBA kind of summer league. <clears throat> and we're in a game, and I'm doing pretty well. And it's mostly in fairness because the guy who's guarding me is terrible. So it's not because I'm so good. It's just that the, the bigs on, this, on the team that we're playing against aren't that good and the guards are great, but the, the bigs were bad. And so I score. We come back down. I score. We come back down. I score. We come back down. They pass me the ball. And even though I'm not double teamed, I kind of take a couple of dribbles and I pass it because there's some tension in me. I'm thinking, God, I'm, I'm really greedy to be, to be you know, pass, to, to be taking every shot when there's all these other talented guys around me who are also trying to get spotted for the league, by the way. And then the moment I do that, my coach calls a timeout. And I was like, oh, it's great because I wanted a break anyway. <laughs> and so we get to the sideline and, and he looks at me and he, and he just looks at me. He's shaking his head. He said, to all rights, I should take you off the floor right now. He said, what the hell? I won't use all the flowery language, but what the hell are you thinking? What are you you thinking? You've just scored four straight times for us. We've managed to finally pull our lead away. Their their bigs are doing a terrible job and being yelled at. They've got their heads down. Their littles are now distracted by you on the defensive end, which means that we can exploit that. And you've gone and passed the ball away and stopped the momentum. And it suddenly makes you realise, yes, you know what, there are some greedy players out there. Well, who never seem to be without the ball when they should be. Well, on occasion, I'm sure, but. Just to no. stop you there,
0: John, it froze for about 20 seconds. Can you back up five yeah, seconds? Yeah, to what? Uh, it was the point about uh, being greedy and as, as yeah. players should um, probably take more emphasis on... Well, it's. I think it's one of the things that our coach brings up. It's for the defence to make you go to plan B. If
1: plan A is working, you stick with it. That's exactly right. It's not about being greedy. If, you, if you're running a play that's getting you open every time <clears throat> and you are doing good things with the basketball when you get it, it's not greedy to continue to do that. That's just smart. That's like entering into an investment that's paying you dividends. And then you do it again, it pays you dividends. Then you do it again, you pay you dividends. And then you suddenly think, oh, well, that's boring, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's not boring. It's fantastic. To get that dividend every time. So don't change it. Keep doing it. But I, I don't see that when I watch basketball for the most part. I see this kind of weird, I, I don't know, management of people as if you're a family, not a team, as if you're a, as if, uh, you know, Johnny's had two ice creams and now somebody else has got to have one ice cream. Otherwise, he's going to have, you know, throw his toys out of the pam, pram. And, and that's not how it works. That's not how it works.
0: Well, I think it's, uh... From from that aspect, it's probably a mindset thing because, obviously, uh, as the Americans would say, uh, people go on hot streaks. Obviously, so-and-so might drop tw- 20 tonight. Somebody else is going to have a good game tomorrow night. And that's just how it is, obviously. It's all these runs. It's, obviously, somebody's going to have a bad night. Somebody's going to have a good night. And it's for you, for the team to, like you say ride that person on that particular night. Yeah.
1: It's, I mean, it, that, most players have a sense of that happening to them, and, and it's not really about being hot. It's just being about being good. So in my best year in the league, I would score between, uh, of my 10 points a game, I would score between six and eight of them in the first quarter. It was my job to kick the other team's ass in the first quarter. It was my job to make them totally focus on the post, which we knew would allow other things to develop uh, as the game went on. And I pretty much played first quarter and fourth quarter. First quarter, sorry, and third quarter, um, unless we were close, in which case I'd play first, third, and fourth. But if I did my job, it wasn't greedy. It was just, look at, there it is again, John with 10, John with 8 in the first quarter. And then I always knew. I was In the third quarter and fourth quarter, I was more of a decoy than anything else because the double teams would come mm-hmm. and then it was my job to make the pass that wouldn't even lead to the score so I wouldn't even get the assist. I would just pass it out simply and the next pass would be the assist. And that's how it works. That's what teams do. They want to win more than they want to look good. They want to win more than they want to score and they want to score only when it helps their team win. So
0: from from, from that point, do you believe that obviously this day and age uh, players are more concerned with the stat sheet then?
1: i don't think, I don't think everywhere, but you know it is a problem that people equate scoring more points. They equate this new this new system of player uh, player scoring, you know that, that that thing at the end of your stat line that tells you if you're a plus this or a minus that. Um, they're really focused on that and I'm not really focused on that because I know that there are times when somebody will take a hit for me, when somebody will do something that nobody will notice that will never show up on a stat line that will help me score. We used to run a secondary break break play in Orlando where one of my teammates, the, the, the four or the five, depending on whether I was playing four or five, would set a down screen for me that would allow me to come up to the top of the key and shoot a jump shot. So The point guard would get the assist if I made the shot. I would get the points if I made the shot. But there's nowhere on the stat sheet, there's nowhere in that scoring methodology where my other bigs perfect screen would show up as a positive. But there was nobody on the team who wasn't fully aware that when John's wide open again at the free throw line, that's because Ben did it. And that's that's the nature of the game. It shouldn't we shouldn't be dumbing it down so so people can have a false sense of what's going on in the game. We should just say it's a game that's easy to learn the basics, harder to understand the nuance, and it's when you understand the nuance that you really know who the players are. Uh, unfortunately, there aren't that many players who really understand the nuance. It's,
0: it's it's one of the, it's one of those things. It's like you like you say you don't you don't get recognition. For I would I wouldn't go I wouldn't say just obviously the 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 screens and the picks obviously taking charges would be another one that doesn't get doesn't get seen and obviously that's putting your body on the line for for the charges
1: it's deflections it's the pass before the assist Um, these types of things don't don't get recognition from the general pop population perhaps but they should be things that basketball players and coaches are focused on the the really basic things the engine room of of winning is stuff that doesn't look that spectacular very often and that's what i that's what i look for when i watch does this kid really understand how good what they've done is does does this team understand and appreciate how amazing this girl's screen was that boy's first passed out of the um out of the, the double team, uh, this kid who got back on D and took a charge, do, do they realize how important that is? And that if you're still celebrating the fact that somebody tried a dunk and missed it, I mean, this is the thing that makes me crazy. I've watched so many games where somebody's gone for a dunk and the, and the whole crowd has stood up and been like, yeah, ultimate, and they've missed it, and they're still like, oh, well, it's great try. It's like, no. The ball didn't go in the hole. That is zero <laughs> points. That is zero points. And when you miss a dunk like that, it's often zero points that leads to a fast break. That's two points down the other end. So that's minus four points. That's minus four points. And you're cheering it. No. Make the layup, run back on D. That's how you win. Well, it's it's probably uh the move to kinda
0: progress on from that point. It's it's I think it's a case. Definitely nowadays, and it's dependent on the NBA player, some of them don't want to play defense, and that's, that, that, that's probably something I pride myself on is my defense. Because obviously, if I make that person have to work hard both ends of the floor, he's going to get tired. Whereas, if you don't, obviously, say, take, well, say, James Harden is generally the, the culprit for. For not playing defense, um, obviously he's going to score x
1: amount of points a night. No, I mean, yeah, but I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I, I think it's very true that there are some players who don't take it seriously. I would, I would definitely warn people away from thinking that James Harden is a, is the role model for most of the, the league. He's absurd, um, and and statistically, it's been shown that that his points production doesn't win his team games. And and that's because his negatives are so high because people score so many points off him because his whole defense is more porous. Because every time someone else has to help, it creates an overload situation. That means most NBA teams are likely to score on that. But I, I would point out that this is another one of those places where people just don't... They haven't got their heads around the idea that... Even when you play great defense, an NBA player is probably going to score on you. Because, and people will hate this, especially in Britain, that's just how good we are. And I was an average NBA player, and I'm still better than anyone who can think about my game thinks I was. Because left alone, I would not miss an 18-foot jump shot putting the post on a single coverage, I am going to score or get fouled. These are facts. Was I exceptional in the NBA? Absolutely not. Totally average. Were there thousands of players like me who have played while I played and now played since? Absolutely. Deeply average. But when compared to this country, I mean, I I would dribble as well as, as a point guard Did in my time, I would shoot as well as a shooting guard. In my time, I I would play in the post well better than anybody has seen, and that's not that's not being boastful. It's just the truth. Obviously, not now. I'm a fat old man, but when I actually played, that was the truth. I had a quicker first step than you can possibly imagine, and it was interesting. It was only when I came back and started doing. Summer camps while I was still playing that that it started to clue into people's minds holy smokes he really is for a man that big, unbelievably fast, and I was averagely fast for the n b a so imagine what it would be like playing against a guy who was actually good mm-hmm. terrifying, and I was also a terrible defender this, you know the evidence is out there to show this, but I was really lucky in that I played with great defenders. I played with Yao Ming, I played with Ben Wallace, I played with guys who could stop people at the rim. And my only job was to direct them to those guys. <laughs> uh, uh, but, so defense, is, it's not that it's not an emphasis. It's just that even when you think you've got it right, I mean, I don't even remember who it was. The Oh, uh, Eastern European guy. I can't remember his name, but he played for Cleveland. Um, big, tall guy. Big one. I, 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 El- I El- won't remember. El, El-, El-,
0: El- Gal. El- Gale- was,
1: yeah, yeah. I remember playing against him, and in the first quarter, he's got 12 or 15 points on me, and I'm like, I'm in his grill. The only thing I can do is kick him in the nuts. That's the only thing I can do to stop him. There was nothing I can do. Quite literally, I'm in the right place every time, and he's still scoring. And it just it really clarified in my head. It's like, wow, you can just have days where if somebody's really focused – and you maybe have not been. I, I thought I was, but maybe I'd, I wasn't as focused as I need to be. They will come and bring the fire, and boy, did it happen. And then you'd have days where you would get that back. Uh, I don't think I ever got it back on Ilgauskas, but
0: but like but like you say, they're they're at the top of their game, and 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 like uh, like like you say they're gonna they're gonna score probably about. What were, what were we just
1: saying? less than fifty. I mean, just less than fifty percent of the time. It's just it, it, it. On those days when it is fifty percent, it feels more like a hundred percent. And when somebody's shooting forty-five percent against you, you know you're in trouble. And so you've really got to push people to like forty percent, and that requires that you do so much right and make no mistakes. Um, because there's a spot for every player. I knew the spot on the left block that if I caught it there, you're dead. You're gonna foul me. Or I'm gonna miss an easy one, but probably you're gonna foul me. That spot on the free throw line extended it, you know, a bit further out, maybe eighteen feet, where if I caught it there off that down screen, I'm gonna I'm gonna score this. And there's lots of shots in between that I might not make much regularly, but that one I'll make. And every player is like that. Kevin Love's got that spot for the kind of all-star caliber people. LeBron James has probably got that spot everywhere. But then even the guys you think are average. Or people think are average. They they've got their spots too, and if you if you allow them to shoot it from that place, they're going to kill you tonight. It's a, I mean, it's it really is an amazing league from that perspective, in that you just get to see people who you know have worked on these one or two particular skills, and if you let them do those skills in the places where they're most comfortable, you're going to lose.
0: And then, obviously, I had a question for you. Uh, coming, going back to the early days mm-hmm. um, what was your initial catalyst for that initial first p- picking up the basketball at age 17
1: I mean there was nothing kind of magical or amazing really it was simply that I was walking down Market Street in Manchester and uh, some guy asked me if I wanted to play basketball well he didn't ask me if I wanted to play basketball he told me I'd be great at basketball And it was the first time in public anybody had ever said I could be great at something. It was the first time outside of my family members where somebody had said I'd be great at something. And so I was kind of intrigued, you know, I "I can be great at something, all right, all right. Because I was never really big on exercise, I was never really big on sweating or running or anything like that. And so had I probably known a bit more about what was involved in basketball, I might have said no. (laughs) But... But fundamentally, I got lucky. I ended up in a position with a, my first coach was a guy called Dave McLean, actually. <clears throat> he still coaches a little bit in Stockport, I think, now. And um, he started me off. And it was nothing to do with the sport, really. It was the people I was surrounded with, mm-hmm. a group of a group of guys who are still my friend to this day. We still have a, a, a standing Wednesday night play. I, I'm, I'm not in Manchester anymore, unfortunately, so I can't do it. We still have a a Christmas party that we all go to every year. Um, Super supportive group of guys who made me think that maybe basketball would be interesting, not for the sport, but just for the camaraderie.
0: It's it's like you say, the camaraderie, it's, it's a bit like that. With all the team sports, it's obviously a little bit like a small family. And obviously, when it comes to game time, you're going to look out for... Quote unquote, your other family members.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's, you know, some of my best experiences are playing with people who weren't necessarily my friends. Like, I would not have chosen to hang out with them or have dinner with them. Not because I didn't like them. They just, you know, it's 15 people, you're all quite different, and maybe these aren't your best peeps. But the moment anybody touches them, it is very much like a family in that you can have a heated argument with your sister or your brother. But the moment someone else tries to pick on them, that that all ends. And immediately it's a united front, and we will kill you. Do not ever touch my family member. I'm allowed to yell at them. I'm allowed to have a go at them, but you can't. And I had some amazing uh, times with teammates who weren't even the kind of people I normally hung out with a great deal. Some of them were. Some of them weren't. But the moment the pressure came on from the outside, it was like, no, do not. That was a hard foul on him. You do that again, you're going to be on your back, and and you 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 just kind of came together.
0: And then I'm 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 assuming you've had some trials and tribulations along the way from obviously starting out at age 17 to eventually, as you say, reaching the impossible of making the NBA. What of what are some of those? Obviously, the point I'm trying to get to is. What are my, my mental toughness and mindset is a massive thing that's it come is. about this day and age. Have have looking back on it, have you kind of used some of those strategies along that along that career?
1: I have. I continue to. I mean, I I, I was pretty focused on the minutiae. I think if you want to do remarkable things, the thing not to do is to look at the future and kind of marvel at it and hope that. If you've got a big plan, a big goal, a big a big vision, that'll be enough. And I focused on the details. So uh, I've got a thing called, uh, you know, a, a, it's not really a theory, but it's kind of a, a platform called uh, Pay the Fee, mm-hmm. Focus, Effort, Execution. I did a video uh, on it with um, Hoops Fix. And, in fact, I'm doing another one now with the NBA. Um and that's what I think is the key of, is to great success. It's paying the fee. Focus, effort, execution. Every day, every moment, every aspect of your life. A laser-like focus on what you need to do today to achieve what you want to achieve. If you've got this big vision, how does the little things I do, how when my alarm goes off, do I choose to press snooze and waste eight minutes or do I get up right away? Do I shower right away or do I potter around? i am I late to practice, i am I late to class, i am I late to... All of this stuff is focus. If you do that right, you're going in the right direction. You do it wrong, you're going in the wrong direction. Effort, it seems like the most basic thing, but I watch games and I watch why the effort is like a wave. When things are going well, a player's got full of effort and you'll see their defense after making a shot is awesome. And then they'll miss a shot and you'll watch as they let a guy just walk right by them. Effort's got to be consistent in every moment. And then execution is, is really kind of key because most people think focus and effort is all it takes. But execution is the idea that you don't just put in a huge amount of effort while concentrating mentally. You actually have to put effort in and focus in on the right things. So, so execution execution is about making sure that you are doing things the right way. So when you're on the floor and you've been told by your coach to stand in a certain spot, are you actually in that spot or are you just close to that? Because it doesn't matter how much effort you're putting in if you're in the wrong spot. If your foot, like on the charge line, if your foot's on the charge line, then that's a block. Even by a millimeter. If you're running a play and your your back of your heel touches the sideline, even by a millimeter, you're out. That's minus two points for you. Possibly two points for your t- the opponent. So execution, doing everything perfectly within to the last fraction of a millimetre. Focus, effort, execution. That's how you win. In basketball, in academics, in work, in life.
0: And then the next question I've got, How? It, obviously you've got Amici performance now. How did that come about?
1: Um, I mean, a I major performance is just, is my consultancy. We're not big. We're only about six people. Um, it's what we always wanted, it's what I always wanted to do. And now I've got a group of people around me who are super keen on trying to do the same things. We're interested in human performance. We're interested in people being the very best they can. Uh, we work a lot in workplaces. We do work a little bit with sports and sports people, but we work with security services intelligence services, uh, education, you name it, to try and make people as as, as as great as they possibly can be using some of the principles I've talked about before and some other psychological techniques. Um, we want people to be the greatest leaders they can possibly be. We want them to be uh, the best members of teams that they can possibly be. Uh, we want them to be as well and happy as they can be whilst doing things that are quite difficult which is what work and life and academics are they're quite difficult and sport quite difficult so so you've got to be able to keep yourself well and happy and kind of not lose your mind whilst you're doing these really difficult things against all this challenge Um, it's what I always wanted to do so I studied while I played and at the end of it took six months off drank a lot of wine and um, and then started my company
0: and then I was obviously reading your website for research purposes before I came in and spoke to you and came across, uh, across the methods or approach of sports care or I don't know yeah, how yeah. you would term it. Uh, can you explain to both the listeners and viewers what this program consists of?
1: Well, sports care is... Uh, I mean, it's not, one of our, it's not one of our flagship programs, I suppose I'd say. It's, I mean, it's really detailed and intricate. But the fact is that most people... Just aren't that interested in in being that good, so we we've done we've worked with a few football clubs, um, a couple of foreign um, Olympic uh, associations, not not the British one, and sports care has two sides to it. One side of it is the community side where we try and help people. There's something called sports for development, the idea that you do sports in communities to, I don't know. Reduce obesity, increase school attendance, um, help with racial tensions in communities, whatever it is, and so there's a science to making that work, and that's what the sports care de- kind of community aspect does. It helps people understand how how to create a program in a specific community that will deliver the outcomes they want. And then sports care elite, that's different. That's the one that works with uh, elite sports people or elite elite track sports people. So I've dealt, I've worked with people who are in football academies and in in the Premier League and playing other professional sports who just need um, a program around them that helps them develop as a person whilst they're developing as an athlete. Um, Because I think we've seen the consequences of what happens when you develop as an athlete but not as a person. You end up with people who drive their cars at 200 miles into an hour into bridges, and you end up with people who throw people through clay glass windows, and you end up with athletes who are drunk the night before a game and fail, um, you know, doping tests, and, 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 and. Mm-hmm. So the, those two programs are aimed to try and... Two different solutions to two different problems.
0: Okay. And then it was a question I brought up with a previous podcast guest, uh, Dr. Brett McCabe. Um, I asked him, obviously, we've got this notion in Britain of uh, participation in primary schools. And he was saying, obviously, participation doesn't really exist because somebody at the end of the day is taking school, be that a parent, another child. So from what I what I was took on from that is, obviously, he was saying it was more... Coaching and coaches to look at developing players, as opposed and say, teachers developing people into different roles if they're not very good at the sport, or as the ones that are more competitive, developing them so they can obviously progress on that pathway further up. And it was just to ask what your take is on uh, that view within with the government putting more emphasis on participation
1: within primary schools? I mean, I think broadly participation in sport can be a good thing, but I think more than that, participation in physical activity is a good thing. I don't think it has to be the shape of sport in primary school. There's loads of stuff you can do with kids in primary school age that has nothing to do with basketball, but builds the preliminary skills of basketball. Whether it be just playing catch, whether it be dribbling without any sense of of um, having a hoop to score in, but just dribbling in a way that's creative and fun. Whether it's simply being out there and telling kids, run around. I want to see if you can run as fast as you can, uh, playing tag or whatever. All of those have physical precursor elements to being good at lots of different sports, whether they be football or basketball or whatever. I'm just not that worried about kids playing specific sports. I, I don't mind a bit of competition. Competition is great. Um, it's all right to to introduce winning and losing, even at these early stages. The reason we don't do that is not because winning and losing is bad for kids. It's because winning and losing, badly handled by coaches, is bad for kids. And it's much easier as a coach to say, everybody wins, let's go have a juice box, than it is to say to one group of kids, who are really elated because they've just won this game of tag, basketball, football, whatever. To say to them, all right, I know you're very excited and this has been great, but if you look over there, there's a team of people and some of them are not very happy, some of them are a bit upset. What might we do about this? Maybe we should go over and say that they did a good job and maybe they'll be better next time. All of this takes a level of sophistication that I don't think is too demanding, frankly. But there's a lot more effort than some people want to put in. And that's why we don't... That's why people are pushing this thrust for no competition. Because it's easier to say, Yay! Everybody did great. Now go over there and and sit down again. Than it is to have to explain to kids about winning and losing and how to keep it in perspective and how winning today doesn't mean you'll always win. How winning today doesn't mean you're great and they're terrible. How losing today doesn't mean you're a bad person it simply means that today you were beaten by someone who did a little better and i think those lessons learned through engagement in activity can be really powerful it'll stop our people it'll stop our winners from being from being such jerks and it would stop our losers from thinking that losing at something is the same as being a loser and those are powerful lessons to learn so i'm into a bit of competition i want kids to play to do activity in primary school, whether it be sport or not, but the real key, as always in sport and activity, is how well it's coached.
0: I definitely agree with that. And in terms of when you you, you say, uh, obviously, with participation, it's good, obviously, because it teaches, well, it teaches fun the fu- fundamentals of the game, because obviously. There's no w- winners and losers, and obviously, as you go on to say, it's it's the root probably the root cause is probably the coaching that is to to certain extent to blame as to why the government has probably maybe gone down that route, and to kind of go on my point would be. Um, I'd have to come back to that. But, ah, um, oh.
1: It'll come back to me. It'll
0: you. come back to me. Um, and obviously, the f- next question I've got is obviously, there's this misconception between coaching and, and mentoring. What is the
1: difference? Um, fundamentally, coaching is more directed than mentoring. Uh, coaching requires that. Um, young, well it should require that your, the people being coached either the young people or the coaches, should bring something to the table in terms of self-directed learning, they should be able to indicate what they're interested in what they're not interested in, they should be able to input into their experience but it's primarily the job of the coach to direct the learning to, to create the syllabus to, to um, create the lesson plans and to deliver them with a great deal of authority. Not all the authority, but a great deal of authority. Mentoring is the opposite. Mentoring is that, that the, co- the, the mentor is a, is a, a knowledgeable, uh, uh, informed, uh, interested, engaged party. But the real onus and emphasis is on the coachee, is on the individual who wants support to come to that person and to say to them, these are the kind of things I've been thinking about. Can you tell me your reflections on how I might improve this or stop doing this or work on this? So that the learning is almost, it's not entirely, but it's almost like it's flipped from coaching. Whereas if coaching is 75% is the onus of the coach to deliver a learning syllabus, in mentoring, 75% of the onus is on the the mentee mm-hmm. delivering the coaching syllabus and and it, the responsibility of the mentor is to simply be um, a wise backboard, so when you throw your, your ideas at it, it 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 bounces them off in a way that 's useful helpful okay. illuminating and then obviously on your website, you go in to
0: talk about a little bit more about bespoke versus organic coaching. can you? Explain that briefly, what you mean by that
1: yeah, well, I mean for my purposes, people need to know probably that that i don't i don 't do any coaching of sport except for in the summertime um, with with some camps, so when i 'm talking about coaching i 'm talking about the the art of talking to each other to improve your performance in work or in or in sport sometimes, but it 's not about physical practice it 's about mental rehearsal, emotional control, these types of things. So, bespoke is the idea that you come and you say, here's my 25%. I need to work on this. This is, what I, this is why I'm hiring you, to work on these 10 things. I may come to the table and say, well, I think there's two more things that are important to add to this at some stage. But fu- fundamentally, we're working on the things that you want to work on. That's the bespoke Part The organic is the idea that sometimes somebody comes to you and they say, um, things are just non-optimal. Um, it's just not, my life is not as optimal as it should be. My work isn't, my relationships aren't, my sport isn't, my media, pro, whatever it is, these things just aren't where I think they could be. And I want to talk about how I might improve that and then it's then it's it's not quite it's not therapy, but it's almost like it's just it could go anywhere depending on what you need it's kind of cool actually. I really enjoyed that type of thing because every day you don't know what you're going to end up talking about it could be it could be that you start off talking about this problem at work and then you suddenly realize that it's something to do with an experience you had ten years ago and that's a real that's a really helpful breakthrough
0: well it's definitely a good one obviously with psychology because obviously what was it me, uh, mindfulness and hmm. mindset you like you said the you've got this problem you perceive as the cause but it might be uh, something else in well in the not distant past or something as a, as a childhood what was the root cause of the problem you have now
1: exactly right you never know i mean some, uh, sometimes people think too deeply about their past and, and 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 it being the cause of everything. Sometimes it's just what you're doing right now that's the problem. But it, I think it's useful sometimes to be able to examine the cause of, of some of your behaviors. And as you said a few times, mindset is really key because how you think dictates how you act. How you act um, that dictates how well you do. And so you, how well you think how Accurately, purposefully, mindfully, you think in the end dictates how well you do.
0: Okay. Uh, so I think we'll wrap the podcast up there, John. So no thanks worries. again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on the show.
1: That's a pleasure.
0: So um, the next question I've got for you if somebody wanted to get in touch with you uh, in terms of maybe asking a question, what is the best way for them to go about doing that?
1: Probably Twitter. I am prolific on Twitter, and if you're not a total troll, I will probably respond to you. It takes sometimes takes me a bit of while, a while because I've got quite a few people who, who get in touch. But so at Jonamichi, if you get to at John on Twitter, that is me.
0: Well, I, well c- coming to me specifically, I was quite surprised you were still up when you answered my my, my tweet. <laughs>
1: I, I am almost Donald Trump-like in my ability to tweet <laughs> at three in the morning.
0: So, once again, thanks again for coming on.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you. And before I forget, I
0: would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it would be more visible in the future to others and thus helping more people which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game.